0: This audio is brought to you by
1: Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM.
0: Live from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is a special reunion radio edition of Women at Work. Here's your host, Laura Zaro. Welcome to our special edition of Women at Work, a weekly show about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarro, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics. It is a very special weekend here on the Penn campus. If you look around, the sun is shining. There are balloons and smiling people. Everybody's taking pictures and hugging and kissing. It's really quite amazing. Part of it is that each of Penn's 12 schools is holding their commencement ceremonies, where we send our newest graduates off into the world. It's also reunion weekend, where alumni are coming back to connect with each other and share what they've learned since leaving Penn and Wharton. So we're lucky to have two of those alumni here today to do just that. In our first half hour, we'll be talking with Grace Cruz, founder and managing director at Grace Global Capital. And then in our second half, we'll welcome Shaz Kong, experienced CEO, fiction writer, and an agent of change, to continue the conversation. Our phones are open, so if you'd like to... Ask Grace her advice, hear what it's like to climb Annapurna, or just get a little dose of inspiration, or ask any questions. We'd love to have you join in the conversation. Our phones are one open at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866, 844-WHARTON, and you can give us a ring. You can also write into Patio, because she's there in the booth at the computer, and you can write to Business Radio at com. and we welcome you to join in the conversation. But first I want to tell you a little bit about Grace Grace Van Cruz's career has been dedicated to a relentless mission of advising her clients in effectively executing growth strategy and managing change her real purpose is to assist organizations teams leaders to realize their highest potential, a recurring theme that I think you'll hear about today, um, by charting a range of possible futures rather than one predetermined outcome. She's the founder and managing director at Grace Global Capital, um, a consulting firm providing M&A financial advisory, restructuring and valuation to insurance executives, boards, and financial regulators since 2006. Throughout Grace's career, she's delivered advisory expertise in over $5 billion of insurance transactions. She's a board member of SBLI US and M Financial Group, and super cool is that she's climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and the Himalayan in Bhutan, and Everest base camp. She's also a licensed sailor and a Wharton alumna, having earned her MBA in finance in 1994. So, with that, let me say, Grace, welcome home.
1: Laura, thank you. It's
0: great to be here. <laughs> So you and I had the great pleasure, at least it was my pleasure, that we got to have coffee a little while ago. And we were talking about your story, how you and your family came to this country um, and the journey that you went on. And I wonder, especially in the context of thinking about you climbing mountains and sailing, could you tell me about where you started to find your mettle, your tenacity, and the people who
1: inspired you? Absolutely. I'm the second oldest of seven children, In addition, my mom is uh, the second oldest of nine children, but my grandmother and granddad also adopted five young girls who lost their moms. Oh, my goodness. So uh, uh, my grandmother raised 14 children. 14 children. 14, and I'm actually one of 52 grandchildren. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But, Laura, I can assure you, that I was the favorite. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not surprised. My grandmother and I had such a special bond. And one of her most treasured words to me were, believe beyond your limits. And even as a young child, hearing believe you beyond your limits, I did not know what that meant. But as I began to experience life, and I began to uh, work and climb mountains, those words have become more and more real to me. So I always grew up in an environment where uh, they, we were taught to imagine, to in, to move beyond any obstacles that may come in your way, and just triumph. You know, so that's the kind of hopeful, inspirational environment I I was brought up in.
0: That's really incredible. It touches my heart because I also had a very special relationship with my grandmother, yes. and. Um, Her words of wisdom guide me all the time, but I also look back in time because what it meant to say, believe beyond your limits to a woman of her generation and in Mm -hmm. her circumstances was very different than the way we think about it as educated women in the United States now. So tell me a little bit about when you came to this
1: country and
0: what the reality was for all of you.
1: So I was born in Guyana, South America. I grew up in a country of the size of Rhode Island, less than a million people. Uh, my parents, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked as, uh, as part of the government of the country. And I, in spite of our humble beginnings, you could not tell me as a child I was poor. I was rich. I was rich in family members around me. I was rich. My aunts and uncles were all always in the house. My parents loved us dearly. And they always inspired us to do better. So I went to Catholic school, and I remember nuns and my uncles and my parents would say, what would you like to be? And I would say many different things. And sometimes I would say just what I I saw the last woman uh, doing. Like I would say what at one point I said, I'd like to be a traffic." police officer, or I'd like to be a nun, I would say. So when you saw women in your environment, they Mm -hmm. were immediate role models. Immediate role models. And what I remembered was whatever I said, everyone just nodded their heads. So nobody said no. No one said no. No one said you couldn't do it. And so I was raised with such a hope and such a, a wealth of possibilities that I just uh, uh, knew that I was going to uh, be upwardly mobile and do much more than even I could imagine. So when you came to this country,
0: um, how much of that upward mobility was um, being carried by education or experience or connections that your family had coming in? Or was it really like lots of other immigrants, they were really starting from scratch here?
1: Yes, my parents were starting from scratch, although we had, fam- we had the benefit of family members being here two decades before we arrived. So we had an infrastructure and f- a- great family bonds to to begin here and my parents really stress education and quite frankly i was so excited to be going to school in united states what made you excited about it i was excited because growing up i it was always a dream my family had to, that what one day we will come to United States. And I had family members already here. Some of them would come back to visit us. And I would always ask them for details. And everything about United States seems exciting to me. I knew it was a bigger country. I knew that I would be attending uh, larger universities, but more opportunities. And because I, w- I grew up uh, in a manner in which I had no restrictions as far as my dreams... United States was the perfect place for me. It sounds it. And, you know, we know how the story ended, at least to today, and that you've
0: seized, that you've built a lot of those dreams and seized them. Mm -hmm. But talk to me about that trajectory of how you leveraged the opportunities that were in front of you Mm -hmm. to position
1: yourself to do the kind of work you're doing now. Sure. So going back to high school, one of the advice that uh, a, a family friend had said to me was that, oh, Grace, high school in the United States is so easy. She said, uh, you can watch soap opera and do your homework and you'll be just fine. So that's exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> was and it the Edge of Night or General Hospital? It was General Hospital. I knew all about Luke and Laura <laughs> and all the stories. I'm dating myself here. But... Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but I noticed that I was getting uh, in the 70s scores, in the 70s and the 80s. And one day I was walking home from school, from my high school to home, and I, I, I lived in Brooklyn and I went to Tilden High School. And by the way, Tilden High School is the same high school that Larry King and Al Sharpton went to, just to put some perspective. So as I did my one mile journey home, I reflected on my day and I reflected I got these grades that were like 82 or, or 85. And I said, I thought to myself, what if I really studied I wonder what my grades would be. <laughs> and so it was Sounds a, like a it conversation was a I've had with my teenager. <laughs> it was a minor challenge to myself. <laughs> And I started to really seriously study. I, instead of heading home to, to watch soap operas, I would go to the local library, and I would not only study, but I would read additional books and magazines, and it just created that too opened up the new world for me. And so my grades started just going from Bs to As. Amazing how that happens. You see? Amazing <laughs> how that happens indeed. And the other major inspiration for me was that my mom... Decided that she would go to school, and she enrolled in a college and started studying nursing. Oh my God! And how many kids did she have? At seven, this? seven children. So she uh, and she would tell me because the, the the house, as you can imagine, with nine of us was very, very busy. So the <laughs> best time for me to study was to get up at two in the morning. So I would go to bed at eight, get up at two, and it's very quiet. And my mom would say to me, "Wake me up when you're up." And so she would come to the dining room table and she would study with me. Oh, my goodness. And she and I had such a bond. And I, she was such a strength, a tower of strength and inspiration for me in a way that I don't think she could possibly imagine. But it's one thing to tell your children, pursue their education. It's another thing to live it while they can see your walking, talking example of what that's like. And that's what my mom was like. So she, and she was so happy. She was, it opened up a new world. I saw this, I saw her blossom and grew. And she loved studying. She loved the opportunity. She loved talking about sharing the stories of of the professors and her exams and her grades, (laughs) that it was quite a bonding experience, so as you can imagine, not just for me, but my entire, our entire household and all our the seven uh, children just knew that education was absolutely the key for us.
0: I'm weepy hearing the story at the thought of the two of you up in the wee hours <laughs> of the morning, but striving together and supporting each other, other. Yes. and that seeing getting faith from one another and mm-hmm. also that you had this living breathing role model of somebody who was not too old to go back to school yes not too busy to try yes no wonder you climb mountains <laughs> <laughs> okay so with this major shift in your perspective um then you're
1: coming out of high school with solid grades yes how was college for you college was wonderful I went to a high school, just by way of background, when I first entered my high school, I got an aptitude test and the counselor came out at the end of the day and said, you are going to be in the 10th grade, which is what I expected. And she said, for your major, we recommend one of two things, either Spanish or accounting. So I was puzzled by both. I I had done nothing in Spanish. And accounting, I did not know what accounting was. So uh, when I started to think of it, I thought, well, I knew Spanish already, but accounting was a mystery to me. And I was—I always gravitated towards challenges of learning <laughs> and learning. To the mysteries. You know, yeah, just a quest to learn more. And I said, I'll do accounting. And I did accounting in high school, and it turned out, Laura, to be as easy as breathing for me. It was just, I just found something I love. And when I took the accounting regents, I got a perfect score, And the head, which was a big deal in my high school, (laughs) and the head of my accounting department was also an adjunct professor at Pace University in New York City. And that's that brought my transition to Pace University.
0: You're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, and my guest today is the amazing Grace Cruz, founder and managing director of Grace Global Capital. She's a member of Wharton's MBA class of 1994 and joining us for our special reunion radio edition of the show. So, Grace, at this point, you've got an associate professor, he or she... He. He. So this teacher saw your talent mm-hmm. and helped build a bridge to Pace mm-hmm. University. Yes. And for people who don't know what Pace
1: is, can you explain where it is? And Sure. So Pace University campus is right across the street from City Hall in downtown New York City. And it has one of the best accounting programs in the country. And that's where I went.
0: And so at this point, you're doing this courtesy of financial aid and scholarship, I'm presuming? And working, Okay, but it's an amazing thing where you can see the power of education mm-hmm. to fuel a meritocracy. Yes, that it's and also matched with your own values and drive that you seized this opportunity and just kept running with it. Yes, so I do want to note for the record because it's it's there's so many things in your story that I relate to. I don't live and breathe for accounting though, <laughs> <laughs> and that it really is amazing that it wasn't just that you were really good at it. You felt. it it meant something to you. It it, it was interesting to you and comfortable. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about how you made that journey to go to business school.
1: Sure. After I graduated from Pace University, I worked for EY and I did auditing for six years. And just about the fifth year, it became monotonous for me. I was going back to the same clients, and my clients love me, and I love them. I'm not surprised. But I wanted more challenge. You know, accounting is a very prescribed set of standards that you follow. And as I learned more about finance and the complexity and having just much more dynamic uh, valuation models that I can learn, and the, I was just fascinated by Wall Street as well, I looked to go to the best business school and to advance my education. Wharton, of, of course. course. And I have to tell you, I still remember the moment I opened the letter. Back then, it was the letter I opened the letter and got my admissions uh, response saying you're admitted. I was elated. I mean the world my world was elated. my clients were elated, my family was elated. So Isn't it amazing how vividly you can remember oh, that moment? I'll never forget it.
0: I had to I went to the Graduate School of Education here at Penn and I remember the moment <laughs> I got my letter and I think I screamed so loudly, my colleagues in the next <laughs> office heard me. But it's like, you know, it's not just that affirmation, but for me it meant a whole new door was opening.
1: Absolutely. and I had applied to eight of the top 10 business schools and i got accepted into seven waitlisted well into one done. yes but i tell you I can't remember any of the other letters, but I remember
0: Wharton. Because you wanted Wharton. Yes, I did. So how did Wharton position you? How did you start your career
1: post-MBA? Yes. So I, I it positioned me even before graduation. So what's amazing about this campus is the exposure and access to business leaders, exposure and access to fellow students who've worked in the industry. So first, I started to network with students in my class that worked in Wall Street. And I was taking them out for drinks, and, and I, I, I'm a great cook. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I brought them home to my apartment and just said, tell me more about what you did. And everything they told me and all the advice they give me just confirmed for me that this was an area I'd like to work in. Grace, I want to stop for a moment because I want to shine just a little light on something that you
0: did because while you're acknowledging the bounty that was here and the amazing people that were here, it's also testimony to you because a lot of people don't know um, how much you can learn. Mm-hmm. by opening the door, inviting people in, yes. asking questions, and learning from others. Yes. And you don't have to be a great cook. You could even do it with pizza. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like your curiosity yes. is yes. key
1: and your hospitality yes. to connecting with other people. Absolutely. And, and much to my delight, they, they were as helpful to share their knowledge. And so be, to be my first and second year, I interned at Merrill Lynch, and I have to tell you, I had never worked as hard as I did that summer. That's what I hear. Yes. I pulled, uh, in one week, I'd pulled three all nighters, uh, but I kept going because I also was learning and it, I was fascinated by all so of So, were this. you
0: still as excited to put in that energy? I was.
1: I was. I was very much excited to pull the energy. And I worked at M- Merrill during that summer, had a very successful summer. And got an offer extended to me. So coming back for my second year, it was much more relaxing because I did not have the pressure of thinking where my where my next step would be after Wharton. I pretty much knew where I wanted to go. And so you were ready to
0: embark on the world as soon as you graduated. Yes. Um, but the way that you started your career— It's not where it is now. No. So talk to me about what that first phase of your career was and what led you to
1: found Grace Capital. Sure. So the very first phase of my career, imagine this, it was in 1994 at Merrill Lynch. So when I entered the financial services group, it was as if I was entering a professional frat house.
0: I I am not surprised. (laughs) It really was. And and when you say frat house, you mean it wasn't just that it was a lot of white men.
1: No. There was a, a culture there. It was a culture there. And uh, it was uh, it was very difficult to navigate my way through. The, uh, in, in the midst of all of that, I've, one important nugget that came out for me that I still treasure to this day was that I, I noticed that that everyone in the group wanted to work on banks. Now, this is a group that covers banks and insurance companies and finance companies. Everyone avoided the insurance industry. And when I found out why, one of the reasons uh, was that in order to to really cover insurance companies, you have to understand two sets of accounting. Insurance, the insurance industry, has U.S. GAAP, which everyone does have, but it also has U.S. statutory accounting. So many of the many of the bankers didn't want to go the extra step or didn't have the the, the the accounting background to really learn a second set of accounting. And as I looked at that path less chosen, that became so attractive to me, and I decided I was going to focus on uh, insurance. How much
0: of this was because you clearly thrive with a real challenge and how much of it was that the challenge was fundamentally about another dimension of accounting, which
1: you said before is like, comes to you like breathing. Yes. So I think it was a part, it both played a role, both, you know, my quest for uncharted territory and learning new things and, and also using my background of accounting in the process. So that part all seems perfectly natural. Mm
0: -hmm. And, you know, it's not news to me that banking, especially then, Mm -hmm. was a frat house. What were some of the examples of that kind of culture? What did you have to learn in order to survive it?
1: One of the things I learned was networking, to really learn how to choose mentors, but more importantly, to choose a sponsor.
0: This is an important distinction that too many people don't make. So right. talk to me about how you sure.
1: figured out that difference. So uh, a mentor is someone you can go to and relate stories to and get their advice and uh, really incorporate that into your into your path. A sponsor is someone in a position of power and leadership. That understands your journey, understands your strengths and weaknesses, but also have a voice and a vote at the table that will direct your career. It is hard to find a sponsor, isn't it? It very it's not an easy thing, especially in a culture where the way networking is done is like a frat house. Yes. And so if it's done in the golf course and it's done uh, at the bars or in areas where you may not be as comfortable, you are uh, technically excluded. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was uh, it was super difficult for me. And I think part of the reasons why I left Merrill Lynch was because of the culture. I got an offer to work at the first private equity fund focused in the insurance industry. What a perfect merger of, oh my goodness. of, of it, it, topics for you. Yes. And it it was an opportunity that was tremendous. And because it was the first PE fund, we worked on every single transaction in the industry, practically taking companies public, doing private sales. We started PartnerE, which still exists today, and we had an IRR of 67%. So imagine the opportunity that that gave me. That's enormous. That part of my career. So, what made you decide, though, to go and build your own enterprise? Okay. So right before the financial crisis had occurred, I was working as a managing director at Swiss Re, and for the last three years in my role as managing director, we changed uh, leadership and ownership four times. That's enough to make your head spin. It is enough to make your head spin. You talk about disruption, and uh, I had a long time to think about this. And I'd say the boldest move I've ever made that I've never regretted was starting my own firm. I am so proud of the fact that I took the initiative and that I'm able to really advise clients uh, with a sense of care and a sense of direction without any distraction of politicking and just focus on client and their needs. It's really Amazing to see the journey that you went on
0: and how all of the strengths that you were able to cultivate and identify carried with you, but also and um, come back to your grandmother's words to believe beyond your limits. Yes.: Did you doubt yourself in this process at all? I had moments.
1: I had moments, because they will come. It's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible not to doubt, but I do think that I have such a strong foundation and such a great network of support. And when I look at the opportunities in the industry of insurance, where we're going through a transition, uh, an innovation, and insurance companies are really taking the initiative to really be more customer-centric, I think it's it's an amazing opportunity. And for me as a woman, I would advise every single woman that right now, It's the golden opportunity of entrepreneurship. Tell me more. What I mean by that is that many women uh, work in their career paths and they view them, they view it as being fairly limited. Mm -hmm. And yet they have skills, skill sets and talents that they're not using at work. Why not carve and carve our future where we can uh, design a company where you can fulfill all of your talents and your goals and your objectives, and entrepreneurship is a perfect way to do it yeah. i think it's it, I think it's no accident that small businesses and entrepreneurships uh, are the fastest growing uh, segment and what an In,
0: enormous percentage of them are, are women.
1: women tremendous because yes. it
0: gives you a way to unleash your talent mm-hmm. pursue your ambitions with no without being hampered by culture yes
1: yes and it gives you a chance to create your own culture
0: Grace, I, I am so delighted. I, it's like I, I'm heartbroken that time is ending. But thank you so much for joining us you here on welcome. Women at Work. You are welcome. If people want to find out more about your work, and where can they find you? At graceglobalcapital.com. Mm. And on Twitter, graceglobalcapital.com. And Grace Van de Cruz as well. Okay. Um, We need to take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, we're going to talk to another amazing Wharton alumna who's a real ceiling smasher. I'm Laura Zarrow, and you're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.